finished this series that we've been in over the last several weeks on, called anyway, Between the Directories. And we have been looking at all of the things, or at least some of them anyway, that happened between the church directories. And as I mentioned before, when you flip through the directory from 1973 and then the one from 1977 all the way then to 78 up to 86, 94, and then up until the most recent, just a few years ago, it's interesting to note some of the things that happened. And as we've looked at already, we've seen that marriages happened between those. And the very first message in this series was on marriage and how to have the right kind, the godly sort of marriage that the Lord wants for you. And then we looked at the fact that tragically divorce happens as well. Some of you have been through that, and, and that was the second message. And then children, as we saw this morning, we Obviously, children are born between those directories, and your family maybe has expanded or changed in some way. And so we looked at how to raise godly children. And then we noted a few weeks ago that some of the people that appear in one directory don't appear in the next. And it's not because they moved away. It's because there was a conflict, and they left, and they didn't leave happy. And it was ugly and not fun, and maybe you have told me those stories, and you smile now because you remember, and I remember that. It was awful, and and maybe that's happened. As we looked at how do you handle conflict, how do you deal with disagreements, and so on. And then last week, we noticed sort of the subtle thing that happens between every one of those, and that's just change. Things change physically, socially, nationally. Things change. How do you deal with that sort of change? And then this morning, we come to something that is very obvious and very close to the heart of many of you here, whether you are a member or regular attender, or maybe this is your first time, each and every one of us is affected by the topic today, and that is death. Because as I look through these directories, there are people that I don't know because they've passed on. I have not had the privilege of meeting them. And even I look at the directory that I was handed when I first arrived, and it is a directory from 2007. June of 2007, so just about two and a half years have passed since the last directory, and you know as well as I do that there are people in your life, people in the life of this church, that are no longer here because they have died. In the short time that I've been here, I'm not sure exactly what this says about me, but in the short time that I've been here, a year and a few months, I've conducted seven funerals of members or people closely associated with Elm Grove, seven. And so many of the people that are in that directory are not going to be in the next one. And so I uh, had somebody say to me the other day when I was commenting about that, they said, now, are you bad luck for that church? I said, well, listen, don't tell anybody that. You know, I, I don't want them to know that. But isn't it interesting how that happens? And certainly we have all been affected by that. Many of you over the last year or so, you have endured the death of a very close loved one. Some a parent, some a spouse, some maybe a, a cousin or an aunt or uncle or a brother or sister. And so it is going to happen, of course, to all of us. And for each person that passes on, there's something that's written there on their tombstone. Most likely it's their name and the dates from which they lived. And then maybe something about them, uh, just a uh, father, mother, brother, something along those lines. I came across some that I thought were sort of interesting and Maybe some of them are true, maybe they're not, but I thought maybe you'd enjoy this. Here lies Skip McVeigh, 
He would be here today, but I have whiskey and a fast gun. Put him away. Here lies Lester Moore, four shots from a 44. No less, no more. Owen Moore passed away. Owen Moore than he could pay. How about if that was written on yours? <clears throat> Here's from a lady in North Carolina. I was Carolina born and Carolina bred, and here I lay, Carolina dead. Here lies Joyce. She'd rather not, but had no choice. Another one, Arabella Young. This is a lady from from the 1700s. Here lies as silent clay, this Arabella Young, who on the 21st of May began to hold her tongue, apparently for the first time. Um, grim death took me without any warning. How about this? I was well at night and dead in the morning. That's, that's encouraging. The children of Israel wanted bread, and the Lord sent them manna. Old clerk Wallace wanted a wife, and the devil sent him Anna. I'm not sure who wrote that, but... And this is one I'm not sure how to take. Sacred to the memory of Jared Bates, who died August the 6th, 1800. His widow, aged 24, lives at 7 Elm Street, has every qualification for a good wife and longs to be comforted. It's on his tombstone. I don't know. Apparently she wrote that. Here's to Johnny, quite a guy. Very sad he had to die. All was well, could not be better, till he wrote my girl a letter. That was it. This is um, another one here that just simply says, I told you I was sick. And then for some, uh, maybe you've experienced this with a friend. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Interesting. And here's another one that sort of makes you think, pause, stranger, when you pass me by, for as you are, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Then prepare unto death and follow me. And then uh, written off to the side, sort of scratched onto the stone, was this. Somebody else wrote, to follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> and then one that, uh, that uh, a tombstone maker says that an elderly woman keeps coming to him and reminding him this is what she wants written on her stone. I knew this was going to happen to me. And that's what she wants on her. Certainly we know, unfortunately, and Maybe we try to ignore it, but we know that death one day will come calling for each one of us. And life, obviously, is very apparent in that, that death is unfortunately a part of life. And yet, some of us fear death. You, you may not admit it. You may be a, a born-again Christian, somebody who says, you know, I, am, I, I love Jesus with all my heart, but I'm scared of death to die. Or maybe you're a person who you're, you're fearful of death because you're just not sure what's on the other side. And you'd like to think that, that you know the Lord and that he's going to take care of you or whatever, but you're just not quite sure. Maybe you have conversations as maybe you are approaching an age where you think, well, I'm getting closer. And you think, I'm not sure that I'm really ready for that. I'm fearful of it. Certainly some of us in our country gives evidence of this, that it is big business, is, is avoiding age. Many of us today uh, know folks or uh, see different people on television, we, we, we know it's apparent. They're trying to avoid getting older. It's interesting that in 2007, just a couple of years ago, $13 billion was spent in our country alone on cosmetic surgery. Not all of which, but much of which was devoted to cosmetic surgery to reverse the aging process. And, of course, you see movie stars and so on, and they sort of lead the charge in that to avoid this aging process. And yet the reality remains that we're all going to die. That most of us will age and get older and then 
one day all pass away. So it presents for us, I believe, a choice of focus. Will we focus on the here and now, or will we focus on the here and now as a preparation for what is to come? Now, the world system, if you just sort of go along with what popular thought and opinion would be, it's going to push you to focus mainly on the here and now. It's going to tell you that, look, if there is an afterlife, just worry about it when you get, when you, when you get older and, 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 and maybe at some point or, or, or just don't think about it at all. It'll just take care of itself. Who cares? How can you really know anyway? That's what the world system is going to push you to. And yet the Bible presents a very different picture. And as we've done throughout this entire series, we have taken the things that happen between the directories and we have said that we as a church body, if nobody else does it, we will do it, that we will yield ourselves to what the Scripture has to say about these different things. And so we look at the Bible, and it presents a very different picture about death and the brevity of life. And I'd like to turn your attention to a few of these just sort of as we begin, the first of which is in the book of James. And you'll see these Scriptures on the screen behind me. So don't feel like you have to try to flip and try to keep up with each one of these, but The book of James makes it very clear. James, if you've never read this book, is very practical, very to the point, very helpful in life. In James chapter 4, verse 13, he writes this. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are a bit of smoke. It appears for a little while, then vanishes. Verse 15, instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He says, we are just a bit of smoke. Some of your versions may say a vapor, a mist, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Just sort of fades away. Now, that's comforting about life, isn't it? You are nothing more than a vapor. How about that? Let's all close in prayer and we'll go home on that encouraging note. Psalm chapter 39 puts it in about the same sorts of terms, and, and I want to uh, to look beginning in verse 4, Psalm chapter 39. Lord, reveal to me the end of my life and the number of my days. Let me know how transitory I am. Would that not be incredible? God, if we prayed that prayer every day, Lord, help me to number those days. Lord, show me, show me really how short this thing is. Show me how transitory I am, how much of a real vapor I am. And then he goes on in verse 5, and and he says this. Let me read this to you. You indeed, talking to the Lord, have made my days short in length, and my lifespan as nothing in your sight. Yes, every mortal man is only a vapor. Psalm 39 and verse 6. This is powerful. Certainly a man walks about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they frantically rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. Is that not powerful? They rush around frantically. Is that not our world? Think about your life. Think about your children and and the family members you have that you know, and maybe you you rush around frantically, gaining possessions, not knowing who will get them. Well, we could stop right there and preach that message all day long. We're just simply read those verses to one another and say, Lord, teach me how short life is. And how, how much vanity there is, how fruitless it is to rush around frantically and gain all of this stuff, and then you can't take any of it with you. And then Psalm chapter 90, 
some more powerful verses as sort of introductory material. Psalm chapter 90, verse 10, you want to know how transitory, how much of a vapor it is? It says in here, our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them, those years are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Some of you have hit that 70-year-old or that 80-year-old threshold, and you look back and you say, let me tell you how quickly it's gone. Let me tell you how those years have flown by. And you can certainly attest to the fact that even the best of them sometimes are struggle and sorrow that quickly pass by. Psalm 90 also highlights this in verse 5. You in their life, they sleep. Talking about humans, they are like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. Life is very short and very quick. And then a verse to sort of launch us forward is verse 12 of that same psalm. Teach us to remember our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Other versions say so that we may gain or acquire a heart of wisdom. Lord, help us to understand your perspective on our lives so that we can then live and operate with wisdom. Sounds a whole lot different than the world's point of view. And so I I want us today, challenge you today, to yield yourself to what the Scripture says. Not only does the Scripture show us in those very plain terms how short life is, what perspective we need to have for it, but it also gives us a glimpse into the lives of certain people. The Bible, if you've read it, very much at all, you'll realize very quickly the Bible does not sugarcoat its heroes. The Bible presents in very raw terms the folks that are in there. And so that's one more reason why the Bible is believable and trustworthy, because you would think that if God really wanted us to to just think that all of his people have all been perfect, and that's all we know about. But we find some really, really tough stuff written about these folks, but we can learn from them. And the Bible also often excuse me, provides a summary of these people in one sentence. For example, King Saul, the very first king of Israel, in a conversation with David who would one day replace him, sort of looking back over his life, and he says this about himself. He says, I have been a fool. You know anybody like that? Don't elbow, please. You know anybody like that? Well, if they, if, if they were honest and, and summed up their life right now, they would have to say, I, I've been a fool. Maybe some of you here today, you look at your life, and, and, and on the outside, you, you sort of play it well, but well, you look at your life and you say, you know what, I've just been a fool. So wasted all the opportunity that God had given him. And he says, I have been a fool. His life in one sentence. Moses, in one sentence, was called the most humble man who ever lived. Well, how about that being said about him? John the Baptist, in sort of his autobiography, one short sentence, John chapter 3, verse 30, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. Talking about Jesus. What a statement about his life. The Apostle Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. What would your life be if you had to write it down in one sentence? If you were to take the time this morning and you had the assignment of, of, here is what my life is, or this is what I want it to be in one simple sentence, what I would want written about me after I'm gone, what would it be? Some of you would. Write something about how you want to be remembered. The type of person, or father, or grandfather, or husband, or wife, or friend, or whatever that you want to be. Some of you would write, you know what, this is what I really wanted out of life. This was what was most important to me. We learn from all of this that life is very short, so we must make the most out of it. 
culture's way says through advertisements and just the way that the world goes to gain more and more and try to achieve and, and see what sort of great life you can live. And, and yet we see the results of that, even in something this past week in the news. With the world's greatest golfer, Tiger Woods, who had it all, it wasn't enough. Now, before we throw darts at him, the Bible says, take heed lest you also fall. So let's be careful that we learn the lessons because a guy like that who has it all at his fingertips, a billionaire, still longed for more. Something was empty. And so we see that if you follow that path without the Lord's guidance, there's always going to be more that you want. And yet the life that you truly want, the life of fulfillment and purpose and legacy and impact and knowing that you matter, life that you want to be loved and to be accepted, to have success, to be secure, to be confident about eternity, to have no fear of death. That life is not found in the world system. It's only found by doing life God's way. And you say, well, what is God's way? I draw your attention to a passage of Scripture. In Luke chapter 9, very powerful passage of Scripture, and I hope that it sinks in today. Jesus is spending time with his disciples, and he's questioning them, and he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, You are the Messiah. You are God's Son. And Jesus then, in response to their right belief, says this in verse 23. And he said to them all, If anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, Follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? Jesus says, look, you believe the right things you say you want to follow me? Let me tell you what it's about. Let me tell you, this is not just belief. This is not just showing up at the right times. This is every day, all the time, deny yourself. Live your life enveloped by the life of Jesus. He says, you want to gain your life? You want the most out of life? Lose it. Give it up for my sake. You you lose your life, guess what you gain? You gain me, Jesus says. You gain him. And so it's a little bit backwards, it seems. How can you gain your life by losing it, by submitting control to Jesus himself? And yet, the Bible is clear that that's the way that the Lord has set it up. But that's the way that God wants it to be done. And so if we are to make the most out of life, we must do it God's way, even though that way may seem a little bit backwards. Now, let me tell you this. Before we move forward and go through the outline there that's on your bulletin, the message today, not because of anything unique that I will have to say or anything that will come directly from me, but because I believe it's a word from God. It has then the potential for two things. Number one, it has the potential to go in one ear and out the other. You ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. You sit and you listen and you just think, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, life's short. Good. Wonderful. I've heard that before. And we sit unchanged by the powerful truth that we see in Scripture. And Satan himself, the forces of evil, will work against you this morning to keep you distracted. To keep you thinking, yes, I've heard that, great. Another message on the shortness of life and making the most of it and priorities and all that kind of junk. So it has that potential because it's a message from God. 
But because it's also a message from God, it has the potential to radically, no matter what your age, young, old, or in between, to radically transform your life. So I challenge you. Pay attention. Write it down. Don't just let it go in one ear and out the other. These principles we talk about today will not be fully developed in this one message. It will take time for you, and I challenge you this week, to go back and to study these passages of Scripture, to study the life of the man that we'll look at, and see how it is that we can make the most of life. There's one more person, the guy that we'll talk about this morning briefly as we move forward. One more person whose life is summarized in a sentence, and I believe it's very inspirational and challenging in exactly the way that we should live. And let me draw your attention first to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 13, and I'm going to read it from the New International Version. Samuel, the prophet here, is talking to Saul, and here we go again. He says, you acted foolishly. There's the summary again of Saul's life. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. So Saul is on his way out because he's been foolish and not followed God's ways. Verse 14, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man, and here's the statement, after his own heart. And appointed him leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. And then in Acts chapter 13, we sort of get bookends of this man's life. He's not mentioned by name there in 1 Samuel 13. But he is in Acts chapter 13, and some of you probably already know his name. Look at verse 22 of Acts 13. After removing Saul, Paul here giving a history of the Israelite people, he made David their king. And he, God, testified concerning him, David, I have found David, son of Jesse, what? A man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. The very first statement made about David is what? He's a man after God's heart. The bookend statement in the New Testament. So throughout the scripture, the same thing is consistent. He's a man after God's heart. You look at the life of David, 66 chapters in the scripture, devoted to or alluding to David. He was a big deal. God put him up as a great example, though he was not perfect, as somebody whose life we should somehow imitate. And his statement about his life was he was a man after God's heart. And so to make the most out of life, aim for a heart like God's. David, I guarantee you, got the most out of life. He experienced God in ways that most people never will. And so aim for a heart like God's. Make that your single focus in life. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be after God's heart? It means to live in harmony with Him, to be in step with Him, that the things that are important to Him are important to you. What He cares about, you care about. It means to be prompt in your obedience to what the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you says or what the Scripture says. When, when God says, do this, you do it. When God says, don't do that, you refuse that. When, you, when God says, look, think about these things, that's what you do. When the Scripture highlights something in your life, you say, you know what, that's a principle. I need to apply it. It needs to trump what I'm doing right now. Then that's what you do if you're a person after God's heart. That you have sensitivity to God in all areas of life. That you're seeking His direction. That in your money, in your work, in your home, in your family, in your school, in your team, whatever it may be, that you want God's involvement. That every decision you make is with God's consultation, not just a hunch, not just intuition. That your heart is completely devoted to Him. There's no division. That you live an authentic life with nothing to hide. The Bible says He rewards those who earnestly seek Him in faith. 
those who go after God like this will receive him. And before you think that that's just the standard for the spiritual elite, well, those are the folks who, they're just the super spiritual. Understand that when Jesus said, if you believe I am the Son of God, the Messiah, you must then deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Right belief must be followed by right action. And it is total devotion, being after God's heart that he's looking for. And so I want us to look at this morning, very quickly, Six lessons that we can take from the life of David, this man after God's heart, that you can begin to chew on and begin to apply in your own life and let it remind you of what the the life that God wants for you. David was a man after God's heart, and his life gives us some very important lessons. The first one is this. Be faithful in the obscure and unseen things of life. Be faithful in the obscure and unseen things of life. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Samuel, the prophet, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I have selected a king from his sons, this man after God's heart. And then verse 6, it says, when they arrived, talking about all the people there, Samuel saw Eliab, one of the sons of, of Jesse, and said, Certainly the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible. But the Lord sees the hearts. Jesse called Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. The Lord hasn't chosen this one either, Samuel said. Then Jesse presented Shammah. But Samuel said, the Lord hasn't chosen this one either. After Jesse presented seven of his sons to him, Samuel told Jesse, the Lord hasn't chosen any of these. Samuel asked him, are these all the sons you have? And almost in a, oh, well, yeah, I I guess I got another one. He says, well, they're still the youngest. But he's right now tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. The Lord said, Anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel did that. David was tending the sheep. He was living in relative obscurity, even in his own family. His dad, as an afterthought, said, well, yeah, but he's a shepherd. Are you sure the Lord wants to talk to him? I mean, you don't even understand. Look, he's way out in the field, and he's got this really, you know, odd sort of job, and he plays the harp and stuff out there. I mean, he's just kind of, you know, he's just obscure, and nobody cares about what he's doing. And yet that's the kind of person God was looking for, because it's evident throughout the life of David that while he was a shepherd, he was faithful. If you know the story, it goes on when he stands before King Saul, and he says, look, when I was a shepherd, a lion and a bear tried to attack the sheep, and I overcame both of them and killed them. He was faithful When nobody was looking, when he could have said, who cares? Not a big deal. God's looking on the inside. I believe David knew that, where character is built and revealed. God is preparing you, though you may feel like your life is being lived in relative obscurity, that you don't matter whatsoever, that what you do for a living or don't do for a living, or you sit at home all day long feeling like, well, God must have forgotten about me. God is preparing you for whatever lies ahead, so be faithful in the obscure and unseen things. Do the small things that matter and do them well. 
in your job, you may be the lowest person on the totem pole. And you may say, what difference does it make if I do this real well or not? They're not going to pay me anymore, and they're not going to fire me no matter what I do. I'm just sort of existing. And I want to challenge you, based upon the life of David, who was out there in the field when nobody was looking, do every little thing the best way it can possibly be done. Excel in all those little things. God himself is watching. And though your boss or co-workers may never know or even care, God knows and he cares. And so I challenge you at work, at school, on a team, wherever you may be, even in church, for us to do every little thing that we do as well as we can do it because God is watching and he deserves our very best. So be faithful in the obscure and unseen things of life. Secondly is this, courageously trust in the Lord even when no one else does. Courageously trust in the Lord even when no one else does. The story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is that of David and Goliath. You probably, even if you've never been to church before, maybe this is your first Sunday, you know that reference. Where David is sent by his father to go check up on his brothers, and he shows up, and this Philistine, huge, nine-feet-tall guy, somebody we can't even imagine, this giant, comes out every day for 40 days and challenges the armies of God, and he says, If you're man enough, come out and fight me. Since you're one guy, we'll fight. Whoever wins controls it all. And David shows up, little guy, probably a teenager at this point. Good-looking fellow, but nothing spectacular about him. He's just been a shepherd. And he shows up and he says, why are you all scared? And he says to them, look to the king. Look, I'll go out and fight him. And he puts on all the king's armor and he just sort of overwhelms him. The helmet falls down in front of his face. He says, look, I don't need any of this. Why? Because I go in the strength of the Lord, and I trust him, and he takes his slingshot, and it's rocks, and he only needs one. It took five, but he only needs one. And he swings that thing around, and by the power of God, it lands exactly where it took to kill that giant. And David, even though nobody else, even though he was living in obscurity and unseen, David was the guy who trusted the Lord when nobody else would. The most powerful warriors in the armies of Israel were scared to death, hiding in their tents. David shows up and says, wait a minute, me plus God, that sort of equals a majority, so let's go. Let me go attack this guy, and let me tell you, we'll win. He courageously trusted the Lord, even though he had to go alone in your life. If you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the way that he says it's supposed to be done, you're going to go alone. Now, we've got other people here who will rally around you and support you. And I pray that each one of us, every week, we're just, we're encouraging one another. But let me tell you, you're going to go alone because very few people do that. Most people just sort of go along with a crowd, even Christians, even Christians. I have a good friend who is a college athlete, and we talk quite often about something we've sort of termed living in the 1%. And what we mean by that is that very few people on his team will work extra, extra hard. Very few people will daily go about it and and do the things that only the 1% of society do to to be the type of person, in his case, the athlete he wants to be. Very few people will. Christianity is not for those who are weak. Christianity is for those who will live in the strength of the Lord and say, no matter what, 
Even if I go alone, I will still courageously trust in the Lord. To live in the 1% of society or, or of all Christians, you know what? It doesn't matter who goes with me. You realize where the crowd is going and you turn the other way. I think this particularly applies to those who, in today's world, may be out in the workforce and the people that you work with, they're just ungodly and they don't care anything about the Lord. And it's really easy to sort of be a Sunday Christian and throughout the week, well, it's just not accepted in my place of business, so I have to tone it down just a little. Or if you're a young person and you're in school, and all of the people in your school, though they may go to church somewhere, and in a community like this, many of them will. And yet you see the compromise that's in their life. It's real easy. Real easy to say, well, there's nobody else. I don't really want to be the only one. And yet Jesus... When he went to the cross, he went publicly, and he went alone. And don't miss that. You want to follow Jesus, you're going to do it publicly. And quite often, you're going to do it alone. But the truth is, David knew he was not really alone. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel, will defeat this Philistine. He did not go truly alone. He went in the power of the Lord. You want to be a person after God's heart? Be faithful in those obscure and unseen things and just watch what God does in and through you. Then courageously trust Him no matter what, even if no one else does. See what we'll do. For the sake of time, and because I don't want to waste what God has to say, we're going to pause there. And what we'll do is we'll pick that up next week. And some of you are thinking, all right, good, okay. He's only number two. Good grief. I know what you're thinking. Listen, I, you can be honest for a second. Everybody can breathe a little bit and wake up your neighbor, tell them that they don't start, no, don't snore yet, all right? But I, wanna, I want to close the service this morning with this idea. I want you to look at your hearts. And I want you to evaluate this morning, just based upon what we've said so far, where your heart is aimed. Which focus are you choosing? Is it the here and now? Or is it the here and now in preparation for later on, for the life that God one day will bring us all when we pass away if we know Him? Are you ready for that? Is your aim to have a heart like God's? And practically speaking, as we looked at in the life of David, are you being faithful and obedient in those obscure and unseen things? Or is it only the stuff that you think everybody's paying attention to that you're giving notice to? Are you faithful even in the smallest things? And I'm not just talking about job performance. I'm talking about your Christian walk. The things that nobody sees, are you taking those as seriously as God does? Are you hiding things? Is your life an open book, so to speak? Are you faithful? And then along with that, are you courageously trusting the Lord? Even if nobody else does. In your job, have you toned it down? Have you sort of covered it up that, yeah, I'm a Christian? Or are you you devoted enough to the Lord to trust Him that He needs to envelop all of your life, even if at work or at school or on a team or wherever it may be, you go it alone? 
All of that, of course, starts not with just trying harder and being better, but every single bit of it starts with knowing Jesus personally. And there are people in this room, and trust me, I've been made aware, and you don't have to be scared, but I just, I know both based upon just general discernment and on conversations I've had, there are people in this room who for years have come to church and for years have sat in the pew of this church or others and have never, never truly given your life to Jesus Christ. And you're just sort of existing and saying, well, I guess just sort of along with everybody else, I'm okay. God says you have to make that decision, and so I challenge you. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've been here forever, and it would absolutely shock everybody in this room. But let me tell you, will you courageously trust the Lord, even if it floors everybody else? Will you give your life to him, maybe for the very first time, and say, I'm tired of playing the game, or I don't want to nail this down. I don't want any more fear of death. I want to know where I'm headed. The Bible says there's only one way for salvation. That salvation is from our sins. The Bible says eventually there is coming a judgment. Each one of us will stand before God. Whether you believe it or not, then make it true or untrue. It's going to happen. There will one day be a judgment. And the only defense that we have before God is to say, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Nothing else. No good works. You can't pile them all up. God says our good stuff that we do is like filthy rags in front of him because Jesus was perfect. He's the sacrifice, and so I challenge you. Have you done that? Young people, have you done that, or have you just been coasting along? Is Jesus truly living inside of you? Does he rule in your heart and your life? Middle-aged folks, older folks, are you truly following the Lord? Well, I hope you are. There's so many people in this room that are. I'm so encouraged by that. But I know that there are folks who aren't. And so, today, maybe you'd say, you know what, I I want to make sure. I want to nail that down in my life. I don't want to leave here with any doubt whatsoever that Jesus lives inside of me, that I've received his salvation. Or maybe today, for you, it's that step of obedience that that you've never been baptized. And you say, you know what, listen, I gave my life to the Lord a long time ago, but I've just been scared to death to stand up in front of everybody. The Bible says that baptism isn't what saves you, but it's that step of obedience that gets you on the path of obedience to God. Will you do that? You publicly get baptized in front of other folks. It'll be easier to live it publicly out in the world. And so maybe that's your decision today. Or maybe you say, you know, this is the kind of church I I want to be a part of. I've been attending for a while. or, Or maybe I've just been here for a long, long time and never really thought about joining this church to sort of as a statement say, I'm, I'm with the mission of this church, what God is doing. Maybe that's your decision. So as we close this morning, evaluate your heart. What's it aimed at? Is it aimed at having a heart like God's? Is that the direction of your life? And if it's not, I pray that you'd respond to God's spirit this morning by turning toward him, giving your life to Jesus, by following him in obedience. He says he rewards those who earnestly seek him in faith. Pray you go after that. I'll be standing down here in just a moment as we sing. Be happy to pray with you, talk with you, answer a question if need be. And then we'll be dismissed. Would you bow with me, please? Lord, in the
the stillness of this moment that we have here at the close of our service, we know that your work is not done with us just because we say amen. And so, Lord, we pray that in this moment that you would give us the courage that it takes, if need be, to get out of our seat, to move to the aisle, to walk down, to take a hand, to pray a prayer, to whatever that may be, to follow you by giving up control of our lives to you, knowing that you provide for us the life that is the best. Maybe to receive salvation and confidence of eternal life by repenting and turning from our sin and giving our trust to you. Maybe that's it. Maybe to follow in baptism, be obedient to even that, or maybe to join the church. Maybe just to spend some time in prayer of confessing the fact that our hearts are far from you. Maybe confessing the fact that maybe someone just isn't being faithful in those obscure and unseen things, or not really courageously trusting the Lord, even if they're alone. So, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon us. Don't let us get away this morning without having made a decision that will alter our lives. Lord, I do pray for each person that is here, for the issues and the things we wrestle with. Lord, for this issue of the brevity of life, God, help us to get your perspective and to live life, making the most of it by aiming our hearts toward yours. So help us, Lord, to be obedient, not just this morning and this moment, but each day.